Wow, hi! Oh my God, it's so beautiful to be with all of you amazing people who are living life on purpose. I'm so grateful to be with you. My name is Amakayla Gaston and I'm just so happy to be in the world knowing that there is so much light and so much power available to all of us because I was murdered. And I was in a moment in my life when my path had really narrowed to a place where I was intent on being a doctor. And not just any doctor, because I want to tell you that my mother's a famous doctor, so I needed to be even more famous, a famous doctor. And in fact, be more like, oh, I don't know, pretty much Dr. Beyonce Oz, okay? And that's another story for another day. But just know that I've been groomed my entire life to be a world-famous Western doctor. And I was on that track. And I think, you know, many of you already know what a narrow track that can be. And as my life grew, no matter how much I wanted to keep singing and acting and pursuing my love of the arts, at one point I was even in five bands. It was great in my off time, but my real life was supposed to be about being a doctor. And the closer I came to that, the narrower the track for me became. And that track just kept narrowing and narrowing and narrowing. Because there I was in medical school finally, after all those grueling years of study. And it should be like, woo, I did it. And there was some of that, but there was also the feeling that all of me wasn't there. All of me couldn't fit into that narrow space with that tiny amount of time and that narrow focus of how to be in the world. That is what I was really feeling and it was making me quite unfulfilled. But the way I was raised, I was taught, you do what you say you're gonna do. You finish what you say you're gonna finish. I went to Catholic school pretty much my whole life. I was captain of the cheerleading team, president of my class all through high school or medical school. I was a great, great student, a good girl, a good neighbor, a good citizen. I did what I was capable of and what I was supposed to do and what people expected of me, especially my parents, because I owed them that much. They worked their whole lives to get out of poverty and to give my brother and myself all of the opportunities they didn't and couldn't have. And so I had to fulfill on my end of the bargain to be a success, to not be a burden, to make it further than they did because of where they had placed me through all of their hard work, the best schools, the best education, the best everything. And I was doing great, but still looking for where all of me could be authentically. So there I was in school and right at the end of summer before the school year was about to begin in medical school in September and I decided that for my last big hurrah, before I buckled down and studied only medicine and left all of the bands that I was in, I decided I would go to this huge women's music festival, 10,000 screaming divas, woo, oh my God, Michigan Women's Music Fest. Here we are out here in the forest about to have a major blowout music filled blast. And while waiting online to get into the festival, there was this giant field of purple flowers and everyone, honey, that knows me knows that I just go crazy for flowers of any kind. I can't resist them. Even in foreign countries like Kazakhstan, my colleagues will tell you that I will make the whole envoy stop so that I can go out and investigate the beautiful flowers. But that's another story, again, for another day. Anywho, I was there in Michigan running to this beautiful, huge field of flowers. And the next thing I knew, I was lying on cement, scrambling for my life. 
and losing the battle because some kid with his buddies went out on a killing spree, intentionally hitting me with his truck while driving drunk, dragging me 86 feet in a gravel road, crushing all my ribs, collarbones, leg bones, ripping off my eyelids, the skin on my face, cooking and burning 75% of my body because I was lodged between the back wheel and the exhaust pipe. Suddenly, all these amazing, beautiful women surrounded the truck and literally lifting it off of my dying and burning body. They were trying to save my life, but unfortunately, they were losing me because I had already lost so much blood. And this time calling an ambulance, which finally came, and I was chopper to the Michigan Butterworth Burn Hospital. And after many months there, in ICU hooked up to tons of machines, my mother, an admiral and the assistant surgeon general of the United States had Air Force Two, the president and vice president's transport medical airplane, come and bring me home to Bethesda Naval Hospital where I stayed for the duration of my healing, a year, trying to get back into my body and having to relinquish my power to the gods of Western medicine. Seeing firsthand from a patient's point of view, all that Western medicine can do, and really, truly, God bless those people, they honestly saved my life. But so did many other forms of healing and other healers. I needed more than just Western medicine. I needed the Reiki masters and the spiritual masters and the drummers and, and, and. Especially when the doctors came into my room saying they were gonna have to cut off both of my legs because they were nervous about me getting gangrene because the burns were so severe. I had to stop the wheels and say, hey, please, please, please don't. When they were debriding me, scrubbing my wounds with Brillo pads to prevent infection from setting in with the pain because it was so excruciating, no amount of pain medication would quell the agony. I had to find a place to exist and somehow get out of that place of pain. And I managed all of that through music. And then... I rolled my ass out of there and figured out how to walk again, to breathe again, to laugh again. But that too is a story for another day. My story today is actually how the universe literally locked, knocked me off that really narrow track I was so determined to stay on. So determined that after all of that, I went back to medical school in a wheelchair on crutches with PTSD. And there I stayed for two years studying medicine. I was so committed. But when it came to cross the bridge from student to doctor and go from classroom to hospital, I just, I couldn't go back there. I realized that was not where my power was. That was not where my full self was. And why do something and be somewhere even for one second if you can't be your full self? I had to die and come back to realize that I had become the patient and lived for a year and a half, hooked up to life support and tons of machines in the ICU in two major hospitals to realize that. I literally had to get knocked off that track. And when I could get past the pain and the grief of what I had thought had been lost, and when I was open to the universe, I came to understand that not only being on that narrow little track, that by not being on that narrow little track, I was now open to being able to heal the world. I could go wherever I want. I could be the powerful being that I'm meant to be in the form that I'm meant to be in. And next I looked, I was in Syria. I was in rooms that are probably smaller than your kitchen closet where whole families are living, hoping, and trying to find something better for their children. And there I was 
in a cement block house crowded in with UN workers and filmmakers and storytellers and these refugee families who want nothing more than to grow the olive trees that they once knew before the wars, just like the ones that their families had been growing for a thousand years. But no, they're stuck somewhere in limbo between the lives they had for generations and the lives they hope their children will have in some new, very foreign place. And while there was all this hubbub swirling around and people were chattering and you could feel the tension, these people feeling, oh, if I just tell my story one more time, these are the people who will help me. These are the people who will help me escape this chaos that I don't even know how I got into as a refugee. And yet all I could hear above all of that chaos was moaning. And I looked around in a dark corner and in a tiny crib was an 11 year old girl racked in pain with cerebral palsy. She was moaning and crying and drooling and inarticulate and in severe pain. And you could tell her parents were agitated and shushing her fervently while trying to tell their story and embarrassed because they couldn't host us the way they wanted to and the way they were used to doing in their tradition and embarrassed by their home, the dirt, the size, the darkness. And they were mostly embarrassed by their sick child, her smell, her noises, her drooling, her presence. And the film crew and my fellow ambassadors and the UN associates just kept asking all of these probing questions, adding to the level of uncomfort and having to repeat and repeat and repeat with a translator because the language barrier was present with different dialects and high emotions. And there are so many refugees with so many stories and everyone wanted their turn. And no one was paying any attention to this little girl in pain. No, no positive energy was going towards her, nothing other than anger and embarrassment. And I just, I couldn't sit there with them anymore and not go over to her. And so I walked over to her and nobody noticed. I wasn't doing it for any other reason than to be with her for a minute and just give her some love and attention. And I went over to her and I reached over the crib barrier and I picked her up and I just did what came to me because what I've come to understand that if I'm quiet and listen deeply to my heart voice, I will always know. I will always know what to do, what to say, what to sing. The right choice will come. And it's not about training or being a doctor of any sort, just being in alignment, heart to heart. That's how to bring healing into a space. So I lifted this moaning, drooling little girl up and I began to sing her as I cradled her. And as I sang, she started to respond to me. Her moans became these joyful coos and she smiled. And so I kept, started, I kept singing and she actually started singing with me. And suddenly I realized that the whole room had stopped. Everything got quiet, the hubbub was gone. And everyone was watching me and that little girl. And her mother began trembling and ran over and took her child and began to weep and weep. And she said to the translator that that was the first time since they had been on the run from a life that she once knew that her daughter smiled. And she never sang before. Her eyes were open. She was present and participating. 
And I could see in her mother's tear-filled eyes hope. And that hope had been missing for a really long time. And it was at that point, it was that point that I realized my purpose. My purpose was to bring that universal language to each and every person, the ability to unlock and reveal and teach others how to access their heart voice and bring their full authentic selves into each and every situation. For we are not only our training and we are not limited to the narrow scope of the languages we know how to speak. We are universal communicators and we do have access to the universal language that is within us naturally. And we can learn to connect to it and access it and express it through every single situation. So I developed the heart voice method, this way to awaken your authentic connection to the unique voice the universe gave you. But unfortunately, many of us are still so invested in our narrow path, our negative sense of self and of others who are different than us. So we squelch our voice and our ability to connect for fear that we might say the wrong thing or someone will take it the wrong way, call us racist, sexist, homophobic. We're petrified of that. So we literally become stoic in the norm and we leave aside our wish for peace and love and reconciliation in the world. We don't feel comfortable accessing these tools available to us, which allow for true connection and authentic, loving heart-to-heart -heart communication. It literally took me getting murdered and coming back from the grave to realize in Syria with a refugee child that I actually had achieved what I had always wanted, healing on this grand international scale as well as having that intimate healing moment. I just took another path to become my version of Dr. Beyonce Oz, one that allowed me just last month to go to Kazakhstan and sing for the president and the World Congress of Religious Leaders at the Global Meeting for Peace and Reconciliation. How crazy is that? How wild and trippy and fabulous. Just a few years ago, I went to Israel and Palestine and before I left, one of the teenage boys I had been working with, and it was so angry at our president and our government and feeling so left and forgotten and hated by the world, said to me, sit Ami, sit means ma'am. You teach me to drum, not bomb. Now I want to drum, not bomb. It transformed me. And I walk on my new journey in gratitude for that transformation every day.